Hey, I am Mustafa Sharif. Thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. This episode is one of the best episodes. I'm looking forward to it because today I have the pleasure to welcome for me the god of city planning for humans, Jan Gale. The, the man who made me study city planning and become a city planner. I have the pleasure to welcome you, Jan, to Urbanistica podcast. I'm blushing. I'm blushing. But I'm glad that you are so happy about the, the things I've done. That's very nice for an elderly man to know that some people like you have taken an interest in the subject and have got a benefit out of reading the stuff. Excellent. I have a, a huge book of notes from your book. I summarized your books and I have them, I read them. So I remember every day what kind of city I should plan for the future. <laughs> and I couldn't sleep since you, you told that you're going to be in this podcast. So thank you so much again, Jan, for being here. A pleasure. How are you? I'm isolated. Yeah, um, we are fine. And uh, the situation in Denmark is very much under control. And they are opening up the country now very fast. And uh, every day things are more normalized, but still only one or two percent has had the disease. So there's a lot of uh, bacteria or a lot of virus out there. So you have to be very careful. And how is it going for you? Do you miss the city, the people? Indeed. And the travels and the lectures, are very much so. I had a number, maybe 20 bookings for this spring for traveling and for the lecturing. And all of it has, of course, been canceled. And what do you do nowadays when your calendar is empty? Yeah, we do something. Actually, I've not felt the, um, the uh, lockdown and the isolation very badly because every day my wife and I, we go to a new district in the city. Either we walk or we bicycle or we take our semi-electric small little car and then we go to all the parks we can find in the, in the, in the area and all the interesting districts and housing areas and many of these I have not seen for 50 years or um, many, many years. So we have systematically looked at all the new stuff and all the old stuff all the bad old stuff and all the good old stuff to see if they're still good and bad and they are and uh, it's been very very interesting and we've seen a number of very very interesting green areas and parks which we didn't know about or we haven't visited for years we've systematically gone to all the graveyards in copenhagen and walked around and see how they are being now gradually transformed into parks. So every day we've had some interesting thing to do. And I feel much wiser now than I was two months ago. That's amazing. I made the other day a list of all the places we've been to. Um, and it's been very interesting. Also, this list has a list of the things we still have to see. It, uh, it can last another three months. Fine. <laughs> So you have a booked full schedule now on your calendar. Yeah. To be well, more, more wise. Yes, wiser and wiser. Well, Jan, in this podcast, I explore what is a smart city together with my guest. And this podcast is being listened in 74 countries from different people, even people that are not really working with city development, dentists, 
football players and so on. So usually I, I leave the stage to my guest. So Jan Gale, how would you like to introduce yourself to tell us what are you passionate about? I'm very passionate about cities and about human settlements and about the idea of the city, the meaning of the city as a meeting place of people where we can come together and together we can develop our culture. And uh, for me, there's been a number of bumps on the road, especially the modernism, where I would say that for 50 years, everything was done so that to chase people to go home with the modernists. They did all the errors in the book and it was very efficient. And you can see it still that these areas are the ones with very little healthy public life and with sometimes with troubles and uh, never a wonderful neighborhood where you say, hey, this is wonderful. I'm passionate about cities and what and, and cities as a meeting place of people, and I'm studying how they meet and under which conditions they meet, and also how the physical form can help this along. And to my great joy, now that I'm an elderly man, I can look back to a fantastic array of experiences. Uh, I've been teaching for 40 years. I've been part of my consulting firm in 16 years, I have, um, since I was in, retired from the university and from my firm, I'm again a consultant, a very interesting housing area for a very idealistic man who wants to build a housing area, which is wonderful for people. And um, we, we are making it so that it will really be an outstanding area in itself. And we we define good for people as a place where the indoors and the outdoors are the same quality. Normally we do a lot about the indoors. We make big, big, big bathrooms and kitchens and and decorations and put nice furniture and whatever, everything inside the building, the house. And in this one, we try to make the outdoors of the same quality. My goal is that people in this area shall be invited to spend as much time outdoors as possible. They are invited strongly to walk as much as possible, to bike as much as possible, and to spend as much time they, they have and would like in semi-public or public areas or in the private gardens, but the idea is that people should be invited to come out of their dwellings and also participate in the common life of the area. We are talking about two types of housing. One is what I call very critically, critically, I call it hotel housing. Much housing today is made in such a way that it is hotel housing. It's good for sleeping and looking out of the window. But I say that a good housing area should be good for life. That should be good for all the seasons. Also, when it's storms and when it's windy, it should be good in the spring, in the summer, the winter. It should be good for all seasons in your life, for your childhood, for your youth, for your adult year, and for when you get old. 
and it should be possible for you to live the whole strength of your life in this particular area or in any segment. <clears throat> Much housing today is done for a little part for five years of this or five years of that, then you move to somewhere else. We try to make this as sort of a village. It's bang in the middle of a provincial city, very close to everything. Uh, the church, the, the mayor, the shops, the library, everything. So we have this uh, diversity of functions and we also try to have diversity of people having old people's um, communal housing, having many young people and families and having small flats for single students or young people and having elderly people living so that we have a great diversity of people who meet each other every day because everything is based on streets. And where is this going to be? Where is the location? Ah, you wouldn't know it. called Hobro, H-O-B-R-O. It's a city of 30,000 people okay. in Jotland. Yes. Beautiful place. This particular site is squeezed in between the forest and the fjord. So you have water to one side and the forest to the other side and the city to the third side. It's like what heaven. What can you ask for? It's like a heaven on earth. It, it could be. We are working yeah. hard on it. Uh, so this is my third phase. But it's it's very fascinating for a person in my situation who are mature, I would say, that I can look back to Actually, this year I've been full-time architect for 60 years, and that has given me a lot of time to write all these books, to teach all these students, to give all these lectures, and to be consultant to Russia, to Moscow, to New York, to London, to Sydney, to Melbourne, and foremost to Copenhagen, and see how these cities are getting gradually better. Jan, what's I'm made? very proud that in Sydney they just they just introduced now the light rail going down the main street, which they have emptied of cars and buses, and now it's pedestrian and the light rail. It's completely, completely changed Sydney. I'm yeah. very proud of that. Congratulations, Sydney. Jan, what made you take this path and not continue with modernism? What made you think about people? Yeah, the, the official story, the official story is that I married a psychologist and then suddenly we had a lot of social science people in the house and they always asked us architects, why don't you take an interest in people? Why don't they teach you anything about people in your uh, engineering schools and your architecture schools? So you are only bloody technocrats. But uh, what you do has a lot of influence on people's life. That led to my wife and I, both of us, starting a career in studying the life of the cities and the how to make cities for people. And of course, that started with a lot of criticism of modernism, because that was so obvious that there was something missing here. And that has led to all the other things gradually. So, Ian, how do you define a smart city? I would start to say that I hate the word smart. Sometimes I talk about the future of cities. And then I say that there's endless many guys, developers, no, not developers, uh, scientists, 
who work hard on, on various gimmicks who they can sell to all the world and say that now the world will be smart and you should just buy my gimmick. And maybe I could start with the automatic car because when we have the automatic car, all the problems we ever heard of in city planning will be solved. That's crap. We will have exactly the same problems, but in a new way, and we will have to deal with them politically as we deal with the automobile traffic. We will have to make strict rules about that. We won't have too many of them, and they have to die too slowly, and, and they have to behave. We, we have to put limits to it. We also hear that if you can't solve all the problems with automatic cars, automated cars, you can have drones and helicopters to solve all the rest of the problems. Think of our, our sky will be full of drones and helicopters going around all over and you can never have a peaceful moment anywhere. And then there are so many guys who are out there selling this or the other gimmick which would make the world smarter. And I think that we will, all this smart technology shall be very careful one item after the other. Is this really what brings our world forward? And then we shall apply it and we shall be ready to apply politics to it, say that, say now they can have cameras to look all over the city. Of course, then we shall say, is this what we want? Is this smart? Or is this just that some kind of freedom is lost? You, we have to be very, very careful and also be aware that behind every of these smart things, there is a firm who wants to be very rich very quickly. We also should be aware that all these smart items are very expensive and they will not be for where the major problems of city planning is. That is in all the developing countries, 90% in the next 50 years of all the development of cities will happen in very poor countries. They are not the customers for the smart stuff. So if we talk about smart stuff as a solution worldwide, um, there is a severe problem because the majority will never be able to buy this. And that's why I say maybe it's smarter to look at cities who have been practical. And I would point very frequently to Copenhagen and say why maybe it's smart to have a city where you walk a lot and where you bicycle a lot. Bicycling is very cheap. It's an old technology. It gives you fresh air. It gives you no noise, no pollution. It's very cheap to run such a system. And the infrastructure is very cheap. And it is good for the, for the climate and it's good for the health and uh, it's good for the economy. And uh, I would suggest that if you want to be smart, make sure you can walk and bicycle in your city. That's cheap, but all the guys who produce these gimmicks, they will be disappointed. Yes, that's very interesting point of view. I had a talk with a guy selling uh, self-driving cars and he told me that this is going to help the cities because you don't need parking the car ride you to your from a to b and then it go park out of the city what do you think about this concept that we're going to save a lot of space in the city i think that's wonderful and will that be applied to jakarta or lagos 
og Saigon og Ho Chi Minh City, when will it be applied? Of course, we can, man is very, very smart and he can think up wonderful solutions. I think some of the things these guys can do are marvelous. That's fantastic. Also, as boys and girls, we love playing and there's a lot of playthings out there. And I think it would be it would be funny to have some of these in some experimental cities and see what they can do and see how fast they can bring it down to a really low price as they have now brought down so many much technology to really low price. Then we can start to use it to get rid of the, the existing mobility technology. Also, I think that Before we get too much uh, carried away, we should take a good look at the public transportation. It could be much, much improved. Public transportation has been the bottom in the bottom of the of the, uh, the queue, and so much better could be made about public transportation. It could be business class, and it could be. It's much smarter to have shared transportation and then walking than have everybody going around in a silly little something which can go and park somewhere else. <clears throat> so we shall not forget the main things for and be blinded by this smart thing. So Jan, do, do you believe we will continue with biking or we will start changing. Like now recently we saw this kicking L scooter, you know, everywhere in the city that you can yeah. kick bikes. But tell me something. Um, will that help to the sitting syndrome? Will you be more healthy by going by electric scooter than by going in a car? It's it's uh, it's we it's very important that whatever we use for moving helps us to keep fit and slim and healthy and the doctors now are very very worried about the sitting syndrome as some of the major killers of all of them that people they die from having sat too much in their life and having used their muscles too little and that's why all the doctors recommend bicycle walking exercise running jogging whatever I think I personally I yeah, it could be nice jogging a bit but and and also exercise whatever but it's much nicer to walk to something meaningful or to bicycle to something meaningful so that your exercise is part of your daily day life that That's is very... good city planning for the future and and also we, we see a lot now of this artificial intelligence being integrated with houses which cause also smart houses that your house can talk to you your house can connect to the database and tell you what is the energy efficient what should you do and so on so what do you think about this modern smart houses i think that it's wonderful that man is has such a great fantasy that he can think up all these things and they can play with it and have experiment and with it but again you will have to look at a population of nine billion people and how many smart cities do you think there will be money for worldwide so i think that the solution we we always 
are allowed to have signs pushing the borders, but we shall realize that the big bulk of problems are among people who not have that many money and who for those we should start to think of ways of living which will be more sustainable, more climate friendly, more healthy and still being cheap and achievable rather than have dreams that in in a few years everybody will have a garage door which goes up and down. You just said you don't need a garage anyway. So basically your idea is about thinking about all the planet and not on specific areas. So you, we sell a product to this area. We should think about every single person in this world, right? We shall think about the basic human needs and the basic human settlements and the majority of human settlements. And it's nice that some people with an excellent fantasy and their gifts in inventing can come up with this and this and the other. And going to one of these smart um, exhibitions or mess, uh, messes, uh, uh, you see fantastic variety of, of silly gimmicks, which all these guys have come up with, all of them dreaming to sell them, all of them are very expensive. And I think that's part of mankind, that's part of the mankind that we always try to find out what can be done, what can be done. And then we have the other question is, what shall we use of this? Where shall we use it? And how will it help us? And are there any backsides to these stories? I just the other day saw an old film by Jacques Tati. It's called Mon Oncle, about this um, conflict between the good old days and a very, very modern house where everything is mechanic. And um, there was no sign that these people with all the mechanics were more happy than Mon Oncle in his old house. So I think there are some basic values for people and we shall not keep them out of mind. And then maybe we can find some practical things which can help us. I think that's that's great. And there has been many such things um, which have been become cheap, like the refrigerator. We started out very expensive, but now it's cheap. And you can actually get cooling of your food and you can preserve your food better, which is good all over the world when they have electricity. Also, they made little <coughs> batteries which can take the sun and turn into bed into electricity, which can be used all over the world and can be produced very cheaply so that instead of nuclear plants and you can have very local electricity supply. This is smart. When, when you're now walking with your great wife in, in Copenhagen and so on, you see this modern new buildings in, in Copenhagen done by famous Danish architects or even international. What is your reflection about, about it? Let's talk about the form and functionality. What do you think? Usual. I think very differently because there are crooks and there are idiots and there are well-meaning people and there are flashy architects and there are good architects. So you can go around also present day and see this housing area is much better than this. And this district is quite geniusly organized. This district is lousily organized. And this is too much 
a quick bog thinking, and this is very careful thinking. So the old laws are still at large that you have to apply your critical sense. You have to be very careful what you're doing, and you have to think of mankind and especially the weaker part of mankind all the time. Do you believe shopping malls will continue to exist? Yes, in, in some ways. Uh, of course, the first generation of shopping malls are very worn out now and very dull, and, and they are also being abandoned. But we also always concentrated our trade uh, in main streets, and then we put them under a roof and whatever. So, of course, we'll see concentrated trade and for, unfortunately, we'll see less of it in the developed countries because more trade will be done over the internet. So instead of people walking up and down the street, we'll have delivery vans going around with parcels, which I don't see as a big step forward. It's a huge step back. But again, all this internet and all this delivery and whatever, that will not apply for Lagos and, and Jakarta in your generation's time. Uh, that will be, we will still see shops, we'll still see shopping malls, we'll still see concentration. I'd rather say concentration of trade. That could be the market, that could be the main street, that could be a shopping mall. Shopping mall is characteristic by that one guy by of an area and then he controls all the shopkeepers as opposed to the main street where everybody controls himself and together they control the main street. So um, I like the main street a little bit more than the shopping mall because the shopping mall is like a cruise ship. One guy has bought up all the hotels and then he, he decides where it should go. Yes. I don't like cruise ships either. <laughs> Yes, it's very visible when you talk. I, I can see it in your face. So instead of calling it a smart city, what should we call it? It's not my problem. It's your problem. Okay, challenge accepted. I would love that we, we, we finish with some personal question, if you don't mind. You're welcome. So you have been in so many different cities around the world. What is your favorite city? That's uh, certainly Copenhagen. The Copenhagen shortly followed by... Melbourne, and also Venice is a big favorite of mine because that's the only city in the world where everybody walks and that everything is done by walking and public transportation. And uh, to me, Venice has a fantastic number of qualities where we can learn about where, what a good city is. It's got small scale, it's got it's compressed, it's, it's diverse, it's... Uh, um, there's a lot of, of, of warmth and human encounters. People meet on the streets all the time and there's a lot of talking and you can talk because there's no noise. It's a fantastic city. Um, I would not mind living in, in Venice, but I would love that it will have an efficient subway system attached to it. So you can go to other Venices. Actually, I, I sometimes say that the ideal city for me is Venice with a good subway system and many of them. That uh, cities based on walking, bicycling and public transportation, um, which will have a much stronger social profile. Because what has happened in all these smart city 
movement also, is that part of the general withdrawal that in the last 50 years we've seen a distinct withdrawal that with better economy, instead of solving our problems together, we withdraw and say, I'll solve my problems myself. I'll buy my own car, my motorboat, my flat, I'll buy my everything, and then I will live there and, and, and be happy ever after. But then you see that the broken families and the kids being abandoned more or less and uh, drugs and, and um, health and, and psychiatry problems and whatever. So man is not made to operate as, as an eremite in the never seeing other people will die. As a human being, we are very social. As a species, we are social species. And this uh, withdrawing and with your money, you can solve all the problems for yourself. We don't have to talk to anybody. It's very interesting now lately that in Denmark, we have an enormous amount of elderly people who want to move into a co-housing. They're sitting all there with their big flats and their big houses and they're very lonely. I think that it's been found that the major problem in housing in Denmark is loneliness in all these small households. We've seen a constant shrinking of the households. In cities like Copenhagen and Stockholm, every other household is one person. And when they get old, they start to say, hmm, could there be better solutions to this? And that's why we see old people's co-housing jump up in an enormous tempo in this country at the moment. So when children are young, they play in the kindergarten, they, they love it. And when they are old, they play together with other old people. In the meantime, we think we are king of the world and will organize everything ourselves. But Homo sapiens comes to the fore in one end of the life and in the other end of the life. Very interesting reflection. And I'm moving to one more scale. What is your favorite public space? Siena, Campo in Siena has got all the qualities you can mention. I, I think it's, it's very nice. It's unfortunately so nice that you can't see it for all the mass tourism, which is con gathering there. Is, the, is there any country on this planet that you would like to visit, but you couldn't so far? Mongolia. <laughs> That's about the last corner I haven't seen. But uh, I, I like very much Greenland. I like very much Iceland, Faroe Islands. These very natural, beautiful countries up in the north, they are extraordinary. If, if you have time machine and you will go back in time, what will you change from urban planning point of view? You, ha you have one thing to change if you go back in time. I could be controversial here and say, what I will change, I will make a worldwide prohibition about building cruise ships. I think they really are ruining the world. They are poor tourists. They don't spend any time in the countries. They don't see the countries properly. And they, they only earn money for the man who owns the cruise ship. And they completely swamp the cities three hours here, five hours there. And uh, everybody say when, they, when they're when they gone, ah, a relief 
and then next morning there comes another one. I think it's a it's a very efficient way of ruining this world and the climate, and people doesn't get much knowledge of the world out of that. They get a lot of free drinks, but that or they get a lot of drinks and food, but it's a form of tourism which is ruining, and that's. I think I could have found a better item if I've had more time. But <laughs> I think that the cruise ships are very unfortunate development. I was yeah. asking Madrid, what is good about Madrid? And at once I said, the good thing about Madrid is you have no harbor. It's sad. Yeah. It's sad story. I, yeah, that's a, that's a subject I've started to go into. That is, I really think that the mass tourism is ruining the... Um, diversity of the world, the cultural heritage, and the climate. And all these cheap flying and cheap boating around is ruining so much that we have to develop the more local goodies. We have to cut down on traveling. We have to have a much more conservation-oriented world traveling policy so that we preserve the diversity of the world and not ruin it. It's just like locusts which fly and suddenly and there's no grain left. Or maybe the, I also talked about the automobile invasion, which really went in everywhere and ruined so many places. Mass tourism is a new car invasion. Yes, unfortunately, sad story. Well, Jan, with your genius brain, when you put your head oh. on the pillow, do you do you think about cities and people and form, or what do you think about? Do you always think about cities and people? Why didn't you mention women? <laughs> Why didn't you mention grandchildren? Why didn't you mention music? Why didn't you mention art? Of course, there are so many things in the world to think about. My great interest for many, many years have been jazz music. For 40 years, I played in a jazz band, trombone. Wow. And um, we are more than 80 years now of age, and we are not. Some people have died, but we still have this great fun to play music. I think when I die, I will like to be buried in my jazz band shirt, because that's been one of the most important parts of my life. I'm super happy, super inspired, as always, by you. Thank you so much again for giving your time. You're welcome. The last question before oh. I leave you. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> what is your message to the young generation, urban planners like me, 26 years old? Only your experience is three times doubles than my age. But now we are taking the responsibility. What is your message to the young generation? I am a strong believer in doing things as natural and as cheaply and as practical as possible. Don't go for complicated technical or technocratic solutions, but try to make life unfold. So study people and start there, rather than study electricity and start there. Yes. Thank you so much again. And I am very happy and proud that I had this conversation with you. Thank you so much, Jan. Okay. So see you around. Please take care. I will. Thank you. 
And thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. Please don't forget to follow on Instagram, subscribe the YouTube channel for live talks. Urbanistica podcast is being produced in collaboration with Landscapes Logit, a firm working with landscape architecture and urban planning and design based in Stockholm. I am Mustafa Sharif. Keep up the good work. Keep loving cities.